I mean, it's good that though for Venezia Football Club. That's the ultimate goal. I mean, recreational games on the weekends, not exactly my idea. I've become addicted to winning. I'm the, fortunately became the first president in the history of Italian football to win three promotions in a row in three consecutive seasons, three championships in three consecutive seasons that came with promotion. And, you know, the Italian football history is pretty long. And to be the first president to do that is something I'm very proud of. But again, not resting on laurels. We have to do more, a lot more. That's our goal. That's the ultimate goal. And that's not just some fantasy. That's, that's our goal. It's not a dream. It's a goal. Sebastian Alvarado with Coffee and Football, a long-form interview where I sit with some of the most influential profiles in the game to learn about their lives and career journeys. This week's episode is part two of my interview with Joe Tacopina. If you haven't listened to the first one, I highly recommend to do so. In this part of the conversation, we dig deeper into the inner workings of Venezia FC and how he envisions to build a business, win the Scudetto, and become a global brand. We also touch on the world of buying teams, his obsession with Real Madrid, power and vanity among high-profile executives, the criminal defense cases that put him on the map, all of that and much more. So without further ado, here's part two with Joe Tacopina. Just in talking about kind of the, the American approach to sports, and this is actually one of the things, you know, I grew up in Europe and I've been here for quite some time. When people ask me, you know, what are the main differences, I many times say that sports in America and sports entities are entertainment entities, whereas, say, in Italy, it's just a sport. Right. And we have these sort of sports business practices in the U.S. that are very applicable, but obviously there is a balance because there's so much tradition that you need to take into right. into consideration and so on. What have been some of the main challenges, whether it's been at AS Roma or in, in Bologna or today in Venezia? I mean, cultural challenges. I mean, I think because, again, the old Italian soccer model, which dies hard, um, is not a healthy one. It's just not. It's a model where the richest people in the country bought these teams for social currency purposes. Okay, Berlusconi, we want to be prime minister, Paese Milan, you know. You know, you have some of the wealthiest people buy these teams, the Marathis, that, that own Inter Milan. I mean, you know, they had all these other businesses that were really benefited from their being, you know, the owner of Inter Milan, the owner of AC Milan, you know, the owner of these great teams, um, Napoli. You know, you know, it's it's amazing that they own them, and it, it opens up doors for them if they become the prince of the city, um, as long as the team is doing well. But it does, you know, give them social currency to use, but... They would always consider these investments as lost leaders, as social currency and nothing more. And they would never expect to make money in, in football or be able to be self-sustaining, which is really the goal in any sports team. And, you know, to me, um, a lot of the things that we are trying to implement is not what's done in Italian football. And you get a lot of resistance, not because they don't want to do well, just because they don't know any better. And, you know, it's hard to break that mold, especially on the sporting side where, you know, things were just a certain way where the money almost like was fake money. It was monopoly money. And you just, you know, you buy, you buy, you buy, you spend without consequence. No, you you know, if you're going to spend, you need to make sure your revenues are in accordance with that spending. That's why sort of FIFA now came up with the financial fair play rules, right? I mean, where, you know, you can't have the, the, the sultans 
uh, you know, or the or the the the, the sheiks come in and and spend five hundred million on a roster and be making two hundred thousand, and they don't care if they lose that money because it's just you know like you or I spending money for dinner. Um, that's not a healthy model for any league because it creates incredible disparity, obviously. So I think that was the biggest challenge, still is the biggest challenge, trying to get that culture to change and to understand that, you know, these players work for a society um, that has obligations to the community. And, you know, that's, I think, maybe the difficult thing still. Um, You know, and, of course, getting people to appreciate that investment in football is, is... a potentially really great financial investment. If you're looking just to have a long-term investment, I mean, shoot. I mean, my investors who invested two years ago in Venezia are pretty happy dudes right now, okay? Um, we're two levels up. We're in Serie B where the revenues are, you know, like 100 times what they were two years ago. When this is the stadium done and Venezia's playing their own stadium and we have hotels and restaurants there and Venezia Football Club's an owner of that property, you know, if we ever wanted to sell this team, it would be... Yeah, the amount of money someone who put in uh, a small amount of money would make in 10 years from now could be astronomical. So from a financial standpoint alone, it's I think it's a great investment. As a matter of fact, I think it's so great that, you know, I put in the lion's share of my capital into that. And, you know, this is a situation where, you know, you speak with, you know, your money, you put your money where your mouth is, they say, well, that, that's, you know, what I did because I believe in this project and I believe in the financial upside as well as the, the legacy value and the upside that of bringing something special to that city. Did you even pay anything for the team or it was straight up no, bankruptcy? See, exactly. That's a great point. We had an option in year one. Buy the team in Lega Pro in the third division from the old ownership group. Assume their debts, which you know we never could really nail down, but we knew it was about $6 million, So right off the rip, we're going to have to pay $6 million, Pay something nominal for the team. But then we also start next season with minus six points for penalties because they didn't make certain tax payments. Um, and just a bad feeling. You know, it was a different name. They had the name Unione Venezia Football Club. It's, you know, you buried the most important part of that name right in the middle, which is not what you ever want to do. Primacy and recency are effects that seem to work on listeners throughout the world. We're, we're named Venice. I mean, Venezia is the name. So we, we decided, you know what, we need to make a clean break from the society that's gone bankrupt three times in 10 years. We need to make, we, this needs to be a statement that we're starting a new, and we'll do it the tough way. We'll go down to the fourth division, like Palmer did. We'll start a new, with new name, new logo. Same team, same 110 years of history. I mean, as, as I said to people, we're a 110-year-old startup, and that's what we did. And we just we could have purchased it, but you know, and been up a league a year earlier. But it was not worth it. We wanted to build from the bottom up and build a foundation to last um, with with a youth sector. That's our primary focus, um, and our youth sector has just been phenomenal. It is really where my focus is on. And again, I go back to my let's call them my mentors, right, Real. You know. Real Madrid's first team, the best team in the world by far, seven to nine players every year on that first team comes from the uh, academy, from the Real Madrid academy. That is unbelievable. I mean, when you think of some of the biggest teams in the world, Manchester United, I'll find how many guys from Manchester United come from the Manchester United Academy. I mean, is there one? I don't even know. But every year, seven to nine, why? From a business standpoint, obviously it makes sense because they're not spending, you know, 80 million to buy a kid. Also, from a cultural standpoint, from a value standpoint, they are, you know, indoctrinated into the Real Madrid culture from an early age, and it stays with them. So you have a culture that's prominent and and really permeates the whole organization, and that's the a great great model. So our focus is the youth academy and our youth sector, 
and we have a great head. Mattia Calotto has done some great things. I mean, we beat Juventus this year. Our U15s beat Juventus, okay? The number one society in, in all of Italy. And uh, that made me really proud. And we're playing in the national finals. So it's something that, you know, is important. It's a real great sign for our future. How long would you say does it typically take? Like, let's use Venezia as an example in this case to go from when you took over the team to where you start seeing positive cash flow. Um, that's a, another great question. I mean, you know, it was impossible to do that in the first two years, right? Of course. So we decided as an investment group, we knew Serie D and like a pro were, those were basically our investments. That was as if we were buying a team in Serie B, right? Yeah. I mean, instead of buying a team in Serie B, we put that money into building an organization. Um, and, you know, we spent probably what we would have spent to buy a Serie B team in the last two years, which is a lot more than most teams would spend in like a pro or Serie D. But, you know, we, we had a, a mission. Um, Cash flow positive is the the the, the most important thing um, in any organization. I mean, look, Real Madrid, I, I'm, I'm I'm Real Madrid obsessed, but except that you know they are the organization that that I have a working relationship with, and they are the ones that do it better than anyone in the world in any sport. So if you're gonna be obsessed with any particular business model, that'd be a good one to be obsessed with. They never re up or have to put money into their organization ever. It's not like they have capital calls ever. They have 90,000 owners. There's not one owner in Real Madrid. It's 90,000 members of the community. But they self-sustain every year. They actually make money every year. They never take distributions. They put it back into the club. They buy the Brazilian super kid, 16-year-old Vivicus, or whatever his name is. But Vicinius. Vicinius. I mean, they, you know, they do that. And you know, they could buy uh, the great kid from uh, Monaco. Um, a striker from Monaco is... Yeah, bump. I mean, they could they could spend eighty million on him if they want to. I mean, that's that's what they do with their excess money. We're just looking to get to a point where we're break even, where our revenues equal our expenses. And that should happen by year um, by year four by next year. Um, that's where we're we're looking at. I mean, we don't expect that to happen this year because we're still playing some catch up and and whatnot. But we're prepared. And and this is look as I said, we're running this with a financially responsible model, and um, you know. We, we we know how it can be done. We're bringing in the best people, some of the best operators. We're on the verge of hiring a massive CEO, um, which would really change the dynamics, um, you know, of the business side. So um, I'd say hopefully by uh, next year will be cash flow. I don't want to say positive, but certainly neutral. Um, I just want to touch. We, we can touch on it briefly because it's such an important component. And I know you talk about it a lot, which is in building the brand, the brand of Venezia. Uh, you have a great platform in it being the city and, and bringing in 30 to 40 million tourists uh, a year. And it's one of the most beautiful and historic cities in the world. But kind of beyond the, those obvious components, what else do you see in, in that brand? And, and what's your approach for, for building that? You know, we, we, our goal has always been to build a global brand. Even when we were in the fourth division, we, you know, we had a bus. If you look at our bus right now, Sebastian, it's better than Juventus's bus. I'm not just saying that. I mean, even guys in Juventus said that. It's like a state-of-the-art bus that we have the players on. We have suits and ties, the official team suits and ties, and they walk off. I mean, we look, we look like, you know, Barcelona coming off a bus or, you know, AC Milan. And the people looking at us like, who the hell are these guys, you know? But we started thinking that we were a global brand in Serie D. Um, where, where did that come from? Was that initiative from, from your end or yes, from, from the team that no, you no, had? No, 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 no. From my end and, and, and my partners. And that's why I like this opportunity. Look, I was president of Bologna, a historically great team. Um, you know, but, but I left that because I saw this opportunity here. And I said, 
guys, we have a global brand. Before we even have a player, we have a global brand, okay? And I'll tell you what, when I had the press conference at Bologna, my first day as president there, we had 75 journalists from throughout Italy. When we had the press conference in Venezia, we had over 150 journalists from throughout the world. Not because of me or Giorgio Perinetti, but because of Venice, Venice, Venice. I mean, when you think of every major great city in Europe, let me rattle off a few. London, Paris, Rome, Munich, Milan. You know, one thing that all those major cities have in common, great football teams. London, right? I mean, I may have mentioned that. Great football teams. Madrid, Barcelona, great football teams. Major cities, great football teams. Venice, great city. Then you got to stop. It's the only one. It's the only major city in Europe of that level, that caliber, that doesn't have a major football team. And when you think about it, you know, it shows you this opportunity. So we, we started out as a global brand, okay? And we just had to catch up on the sporting side. Um, and we're doing that. I mean, we, you know, we're, look, if I, I told you, aside from you, on an international press level, the BBC featured us, the New York Post twice. I mean, if you know, the New York, you're a New Yorker, you now, all right? You, you know, if you follow the New York Post. When the World Cup comes, they have one page on soccer. That's it. One page on football. Yep. One page. They did a two-page spread on Venezia this year, a few months ago. You know, ESPN, the New York Times, Victory Journal, uh, Bleacher Report. I mean, some of the biggest sports, and I'm, I'm missing some, but some of the biggest sports publications in North American sports has written about us. We have the fr- French press, as I said, the BBC in England did a, a, a huge feature on us. I mean, and again, it's not because they know any of our players, because they don't. Uh, they just don't. It's because we're Venice. You know, if we were a small provincial team in the middle of Italy with our roster, even winning to, there wouldn't be a person outside of that province, maybe out of Italy, that would, would know who we are. But everyone knows who we are. I mean, so it's it's building a global brand. There's a prerequisite. You have to have a global city. Okay. With that, now you have to know what to do. And we're doing it. We're, as I said, we have, we're reaching out. We're, I told you, Ireland, China, um, Northampton in, in the UK. We have a, a camp there, an academy there. Uh, New York in the United States. I mean, we're only on, you know, month 18. And we have four academies throughout the world. We'll be touring the United States this summer. Um, we have a, a confirmed game with Detroit FC on July 18th. We're looking at another game in New York. In January, we're going to Asia. I mean, you know, we're... we're we're acting like we're, uh, you know, Chelsea, but um, you know, we're Are you following team. kind of the path of the big big teams because typically it is, you know, the North American market and obviously Asia being yeah. probably the two main ones. Yeah, the Detroit game is um, is a bundled ticket against Detroit FC with AS Roma and Paris Saint Germain. Okay, okay, so that's that's happening. So you know, it's uh, um, so it's just you know that's how you build it. You, you build it, and of course, the social media is so important these days. Getting that message out there, interacting. With, with fans throughout the world, make them feel part of it. Um, the little things, like on a local basis, I send to every child born in the province of Venice, not just the island, but in the mainland of Mestre, to every single child that's born, you know, before they leave that hospital, they'll have a Venezia football club shirt delivered to their bedside. We're going to get them early, you know, and we're going to lock them in early and they'll become fans. And, you know, it's something that shows that we're part of the community. But, you know, we lost a, a generational fan gap in Venice. We did. Because the team had really been something that was almost unwatchable and really wasn't, you couldn't even follow it. I mean, bankruptcy, if you can't rely on, you know, look, the team doesn't have to be champions every year or any year. But as long as you're respectable and, you know, there's the sustainability and you're going to be there, most people will stay and support their local teams. Um, But, you know, when you can't trust the ownership or rely on the fact that this team's going to be around next year, why are you going to invest, 
you know, emotions into being part of that. We, we have to go out there, and there's a big gap. We, most of, we have a great fan base, 70 and over. I mean, those guys are great. Our ultras are about, the average age is about 70, you know, but, but, you know, under that is when the tough years started and people went to Juventus, AC Milan, Inter, and that's, you know, we're getting those people back now. A lot of young kids have come to the stadium. We had, I had 750 kids from schools throughout the province of Venice at our training facility a month ago. We did a day camp there, and I went, and I had the players go, and we shook every kid's hand, and we signed autographs and gave shirts, and all of a sudden, these kids, these eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, are going to be are impressionable, and their first interaction with real football is Venice Football Club. Those are their idols now. Those are their heroes, those players. Those will be our fans now. We, we're locking them in early. We have to go take back that fan base, and we're going to. Just going back to kind of in, in talking about management, and, and now you, you've you've been in it, obviously in the in the football management side of things for the past ten plus years. I guess a, a couple of themes uh, within quotation marks associated with with big positions in, in football management, which can also kind of be seen in big positions of big companies, and among individuals who maybe in their own right have prominent careers and their own egos, and you bring these together and. In, in executive management, you know, we talk about th- these themes like power and vanity. How would you say that that comes to play among a group of executives? And the reason why I'm asking is because as fans who are kind of sitting on the outside, we, we read about teams and there is power struggles. And then we wonder why the team is not doing well. And there's a lot, a lot of that happening behind the scenes. So how yeah. would you say that comes to play? It's amazing. That's a really great question. You have to be an insider sort of to know that that's, that's an issue, but that is a major issue. Um, you know, in, interpersonal conflicts in the society and the organization has the ability to be a cancer that just grows and it cripples an organization. And you see that a lot. I mean, I'll give you one example, Liverpool, you know, and they had those two owners from North America, right? Um, Hicks and Gillette. And they were 50-50 partners and the club was paralyzed and they couldn't do anything. And these guys were infighting and, you know, or just two managers that, that don't get along. I mean, that hurts the club's ability to, you know, all... Parts of the club have to be synergistic with the other part. And, um, you know, we are blessed to have a great, incredible group of people who are so happy and proud. Some of them are people from, you know, the the previous era. My general director, Dante Shabilia, was the general director of the old organization. But he's a Venetian through and through. And, and, and Veronica Bond, our press secretary, they are true Venetians who lived in the old organization and, you know, weren't exactly proud to go to work every day and didn't necessarily tell people, oh, I work at Venezia Football Club because they were laughed at. Now they are just, you know, on top of the world. They're so proud to be part of this, and, and they're a big part of it. I mean, they've made this what it what it is, and without them I wouldn't be able to do this. But we have an organization that's important to me because I've seen it. I've been in some of the bigger clubs, and I've seen Can you give me an example of when you've been yes. part of that yes. kind of struggle? Yes. Um, I'm not going to name the team. I don't need to create, you know— uh, news articles in Italy, but you know, in one issue, a situation, our general director and sporting director, in one of my past situations, didn't get along, and we're not, you know, really communicating well, and seemed to be always a uh, internal strife, and you know, one would blame the other for miscommunication, or it was always something, and not only did it prevent things from getting done in a timely way or getting done at all, it created this, you know, this sort of heavy feeling. In the offices, um, in, in the you know, in the company, it created this division, and it became almost like uncomfortable. 
And I just remember saying, like, this can never happen again. Like, I'll never be part of an organization where everyone's not locked arms in a brotherhood. Um, and in Venezia, we have that. I mean, you know, everyone will help everyone out in whatever needs they may have. And, you know, it's easy for everyone to be all chummy and good for each other when times are good. But when times are difficult, that's the true test of, of a brotherhood. And, and, you know, and that's something that I am crazy manic about that we respect each other, we help each other. I don't ever want to hear people talking about each other behind their backs. That kind of stuff to me is is deplorable in any walk of life. But when you're running a football club where you have enough drama, because, you know, you have players. And a lot of these players, you know, are not the easiest characters to deal with. Some of them are prima donnas, quite frankly. You know, you have coaches that, um, you know, aren't always easy to manage. So you have to alleviate and avoid any of the unnecessary drama that comes with with being part of it and i'm very manic about it and you know it's part of my bringing one in it's not just me we have a committee that looks at these people and we all talk about how are they going to fit in you know are they team players are they people who are self-aggrandizing are they going to look to blame others are they going to take ownership I, i'm believe me i'm the first to tell everyone i don't mind if you make mistakes don't worry about it one learn from it don't make it again but do never shift blame or point to others that's something i get crazy about it makes me nuts and i go into cross-examination mode as a lawyer and then it doesn't become fun what's your um worst quality or something that you might know of that you need to work on uh um that sometimes i i think um my eternal optimism sometimes could could get in the way of you know rational analysis now i i can't say it's happened really in, in venezia or, or anywhere else but you know i do have a, a large passion and a large sense of ambition and enthusiasm and i think that's one of the things that you know i i make sure i keep in check and the way i do it is i consult with others on all major decisions i mean i can make them all and oftentimes i do but when there's something that well there was for instance the name of our insider pass i was adamant that it was going to be called something else adamant and it was no change in my mind until I kept getting told we should change, we should change it. And then I said, okay, so maybe maybe I'm missing something here. And I then started speaking to other people and letting their decisions and their, their not decisions, but more their opinions influence me. And I listened, and at the end of the day, I changed it because I was wrong. Um, things like that. I mean, you know, I, I no problem saying I was wrong, and I like to have smart people around me. And that's why, you know, I res- the people I respect are the people I like to hire. Because if a tough decision has to be made, I have to own it. I will make it. But I also do like to take the pulse of, you know, people who I respect and are smart. That's one. The other thing is I, you know, tend to fly off the handle on occasion. I mean, I treat everyone with respect. But, but you know, when things don't get done, if I feel they're not getting done, I, I have a, the ability to, to go Brooklyn, as we call it, a little <laughs> bit, you know. And it's funny. They laugh at me because they understand me when I speak English there unless I'm really tired or really mad. Then they said they can't understand a word I'm saying, which is because I go into a probably different language mode, which is a, a you know a street Brooklyn thing where I speak in like Uber speed and super fast and and with different enunciation, and they look at me like he's talking Swahili. What is he saying? And it's funny because they they laugh about it. And now I laugh about it too. But you know that that's it. And that when I fly up the handle, it's either because I've had one hour sleep or because I just I I I strive for perfection and sometimes I demand it. But you know I have to also understand that we're all human beings and you know not everyone's gonna crank on all cylinders at all times millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the ultimate goal? Oh, Scudetto. I mean, a Scudetto for Venezia Football Club is the ultimate goal. I mean... By when will we see that? I, not that to do that would be suicide. I mean, to say, okay, but in eight years we'll win a Scudetto. And then Look, you said a couple of years ago that you no, would no, win no. two that's, leagues. That's and different. <laughs> the Scudetto is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal needs to be reassessed every year. So in, if you ask me in two years, maybe I can give you a better answer. Our first goal is to sustain and make a sustainable project here and, and, and build a foundation that's lasting for a long time. And then we're in the process of doing that. Our next goal is to get to Syria and to stay in Syria, not to be one of these teams that go up and down and up and down. We want to go up when we're ready. And, and the third part of that step would be to then get to the upper level of Syria, to be in the top 11, top 10, then to get into the Europe categories in the top six, um, be in the Europa League at first and you know eventually be in Champions League. And before we go, um, we want to bring a Scudetto to Venice. And there's no doubt it could happen. Maybe people could laugh at that, but people laughed when I said, we'll be in Syria B in two years when we didn't have a player, you know, 18 months ago. Um, but, you know, Hellas Verona... One in 84, Calgary one, you know, much smaller fan base than we have before that. You know, it's a different world, but it can happen. And, it, you know, I'm a firm believer. And, and by the way, if you don't think it could happen, it never will happen. You know, if you don't think like a champion, you'll never be a champion. And that is our goal. I mean, if that's not our goal, I don't know why we're doing this. Uh, you know, just to play recreational games on the weekends, not exactly my idea. I've become addicted to winning. You know, I'm the fortunately became the first president in the history of Italian football, which I didn't know, but I was told this year to win three promotions in a row in three consecutive seasons, three championships, and three consecutive seasons that came with promotion. And, you know, the Italian football history is pretty long. And to be the first president to do that is, is, is something I'm very proud of. But again, not resting on laurels. We have to do more, a lot more. And um, that's our goal. That's the ultimate goal. And that's not just some fantasy. That's, that's our goal. It's not a dream. It's a goal. Fantastic. We'll be watching. Okay. Um, One last thing I, I just want to say, you know, I, I reflected on a question you asked me earlier about, I don't know if the word was mentor, but mentor slash inspiration. You know, the person who, who sort of gets lost in all this all the time, Sebastian is my wife, you know, who really, when you think about it, lets me do this because we have five kids and without her blessing, not only blessing, but support to be able to go over to Italy, you know, every month for two weeks and work there and be a part, it, it, none of this would happen. And, you know, there's two ways to make it happen. She could do it and just deal with it and be miserable and make my experience miserable or supportive. And it's amazing. I'm, you know, when I, when I think about it, really that's who gets all the credit at the end of the day. Um, because, you know, we have five children and she was able to really look, I'm involved in everything they do and I'm at all their events and games I can be at. Um, but she's there every single day for them and did a lot of that, you know, when I was building a football team. So she gets as much credit as anybody, including me. Um, so this is all as much hers as is mine. So, you know, at the end of the day, when the book is written and the final chapter is closed, she has to have her own chapter in this thing. So, Sounds good. How old are, are the kids, by the way? Uh, so we have a uh, – you're seriously putting me on the spot. I have five of them, so it's not like I just rattle off their ages. But we'll, I'm not we'll going we'll we'll to ask for their birthdays. We have a 24-year-old, okay? Um, we have a 21-year-old. We have twins who are about to turn 18 in a couple of days. And we have a 15-year-old. So, Oh, 16-year-old. You just turned 16. See? I almost was there. 
Um, we have a 16 year old. That's the last one. Oh, so you really two have girls, your hands full. Three was yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she does. My wife does. But yes. What, what's your biggest challenge as a dad beyond the being, being away a lot? Yeah, that no, that's that is the biggest challenge. I mean, these kids. Thank God we've never had a real problem with any of them. Like you know, I, I see some stories. I hear some of my kids, my friends' kids, and having real issues. I mean, we've been so blessed, knock on wood, that we haven't had any real issues with any of them, and they're all good students. They're all good kids, and the most thing i get the most pride from is when i hear at the school or, or teachers say you know your kids are such polite kids so respectful and so you know nice to be around it's you know to me that's you know you've been successful in life when you could say that i mean winning a championship is one thing but when you have that and again that's the credit there goes to my partner not not me on that one but um that's something that's uh that's that's to be proud of that's for sure Do you give them everything they want? Or no, that? come on. I'm, I mean, like, look, my wife will hate me because sometimes I give much more than she does. Says I'm a Disneyland dad sometimes, but on the other hand, I, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. I don't, you know, they didn't grow up in Brooklyn, and I don't think my boys have ever gone to a street fight in their life yet. And they're 18 and 21. And I'm like, geez, 18 and 21, I probably had 150 fights. You know, but good for them, by the way. It's, I'm not encouraging going out there and just getting the brawls for the sake of it, but you know, it's a different life to grow up in. So we're we, we're very cognizant of that and they don't just yeah, my daughter's first car a lot of her friends were driving to high school mercedes and bmws and i was like Ugh, the, the maladjusted kids that these people will become i mean they haven't earned a penny in their life and they're driving a sixty thousand dollar car to school i mean what do they strive for what do they think the value of dollars what do they think you know my daughter's first car was a really really used jeep like eighty thousand miles on it used jeep that she paid half for that's how we do it that's how we roll with that so But they do have nice things, like you know, so they're not exactly growing from Brownsville or anything like that. But you know, I think they're pretty well adjusted. And they have respect for the value of of money for the most part. All right, we're getting into just last sort of rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, this should be pretty quick. Here we go. Favorite team. Venezia Football Club. Favorite player? Marcelo. Best left back in the world by far, I think, the Real Madrid player. I mean, he's the only defender that is, to me, like a striker. I mean, you know, when teams park defenders in the box, like as they do against Real Madrid, he's the one guy that could break that box. I mean, I just think he's phenomenal. Plus, I love his hair. <laughs> um, the biggest moment in your football career? You know, it seems to be evolving every year. I mean, what's if the first me, thing that comes to mind? Uh, by, well, the closing of AS Roma. The day I was announced as vice president of AS Roma, my father's team, my, the team I grew up like, looking up to, um, Francesco's Totti team. I was Francesco's Totti vice president. Uh, I mean, that to me was like, what? But then the second favorite moment would be the day in, in June of 2014 that I won with Bologna and got the promote back Serie A. I mean, you can see that moment. I mean, it was like, you know, if you ever you have want to a be a rock star, it's phone. a screensaver on my phone, one of my phones anyway. But it's a moment I'll never forget in the Del Aro Stadium with, you know, 50,000 people just looking at you. Ever, you know, just dream for a minute of being a rock star on a stage where people are screaming at you. That was that moment. It's, a, it's an hour that I'll never forget. And I wish everyone in their life could have an opportunity to experience that just one time. Um, but then again, you know. The year we won our first championship in Venice two years ago or 18 months ago, 13 months ago, uh, rather, you know, was really special because it was the beginning of the launch. But this year has been, you know, we're on the verge of winning three tro a triplet. Um, it's 
you know, winning the league when we were in a group with Parma, Reggiana, Modena, you know, Portanone, some important teams, Padua, historically great teams who have been in the highest levels of Italian football. And we were in that league and we walked away with the division. That was pretty special. And then winning the Coppa Italia and, and having literally two trophies in my hand on a stage with the president of the league, you know, it was, they've all been special in their own way. And it's, you know, I, I, the last chapter is not even written yet. There's a lot more to go. So I've been very fortunate to have very good people around me and the ability to, you know, have a lot of special moments. So I don't know. The Bologna one was really special, but you know, then on May 8th in Venice on the Grand Canal in a gondola with a trophy in my hand, the mayor sitting next to me and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people lined up and on the Rialto bridge and looking up thinking, Oh my God, like, you know, you can't fathom that in any, in any dream that you may have. So that was pretty special. The biggest moment in your law career? You know, maybe winning an acquittal in the infamous rape cops case in New York City. That was a case that captivated not only the city, but the country. You know, it was a case where two cops were indicted for raping a woman while they were on duty who was drunk, and they were acquitted, um, rightfully so, by the way, um, by a jury. Um, that was something that, you know, that was against all odds. I mean, these guys were called rape cops for two years before they even went to trial. And it was a case that no one thought we could win. Absolutely no one. And, uh, you know, winning that was pretty special. But I, I could give you five of those, ten of those at least. I mean, I remember a case in Long Island where I had a, a gym teacher accused of pedophilia who was 100% innocent. He was a, a husband, a father of two young kids. He was a great kid. And the allegations against him were nonsensical. It, wasn't even, you know, it doesn't matter. But it, it was something where ten kids testified against him. And I was like, you know, other lawyers would tell him to plead guilty to felonies and go to jail. And we went to trial on the case, and we won. But that was, you know, it was cases like that where you represent someone that you know is innocent, and you're scared to death that if they get convicted, it's going to be on your hands. So it could be any one of those moments, you know, where you've had someone truly innocent, uh, and they've been vindicated. Those are the biggest moments, so to speak. The most important characteristic to be successful in your position? Determination, grit, you know, a combination of those two. And passion. I mean, if you don't have passion for what you're doing, you know, you could get tired very quickly. You know, there were days where I'm on fumes. But I'm so passionate about this project and what we're doing that it just carries me through. And I guess this goes hand in hand. So a recommendation, let's say, to a college kid who wants to follow your footsteps and become a football executive. Study. You know, I have too many people when they interview with me, they say, you know, I'm really passionate about football. I'm really passionate about football. That to me is a warning sign. It's not a benefit. While you have to be passionate about what you do, that is the ingredient that is the easiest to come by. Because if you're passionate about football, which a lot of people are, that's fine. But hard work, determination, intelligence, study. I want to hear you're passionate, so therefore you're going to have a job. I don't need another fan inside the office. I need someone who's intelligent, who's going to work hard, who understands the value of hard work, what it means to work hard, and, and someone who gets things done. And so studying and understanding, which is what I had to do a lot of. And on that note, you've obviously done a lot of negotiating your career and do it uh-huh. on a day, day-to-day basis. What would be like top two to three negotiation tactics? Making sure you're, look, you know, I have this reputation as this big bulldog lawyer and, you know, so on and so forth. But to really negotiate with anyone that, you know, is formidable that you're, and most people that you negotiate with at this level are formidable, have brains or intelligent, you have to portray a sense of, of fundamental fairness, Okay. I negotiate hard, and at times when I have the leverage, I'll exert it. But you have to, if you're negotiating, you really have to let the other side think that, you know, there's a benefit in it for them too, be it a player contract or, 
you know, a sponsorship deal. You know, sponsors don't want to give millions and millions of dollars unless they understand that their brand is going to get something for it, be activated. So when I negotiate, I like to start off with the principle of fundamental fairness. Now, if I'm negotiating against someone who, you know, I think is not, isn't maybe an unsavory character or not very uh, honest and straightforward, I could get, there's a different side of me. I fangs come out and, you know, I go into a very dark neighborhood in my head and I know how to exert leverage when I, when I need to. I don't like to start that way. And that's not really where, you know, you get the most beneficial results. But if I had to give one piece of advice is know what you want, go in there knowing what you want, know what your floor is, know what your ceiling is, but portray a a sense of fundamental fairness. Um, That's the easiest way to get deals done. A book recommendation. Hmm. My God, there's so many. I mean, Joe, I'll go back to Joe McGinnis, right? He wrote this book, The Miracolo di Castel di Sangro. The Miracle, do you have it there? Because I see a lot of the books in your pile there I have. That's right there above the... Oh, there it is. Yep. The Miracle of Castel di Sangro. I mean, that is, my God, it's a story about a team that was a neighborhood, basically, team in Abruzzi in Italy that from this little town called Castel di Sangro that, that worked its way up to the ranks of Italian soccer, wound up in Serie B. You know, playing Gigi before. I mean, it was like, it really is an incredible, incredible story how this little team from a rinky-dick neighborhood did that. Um, and as it turns out, I later, just this year, became friends with the president of that team, who's now the president of Lega Pro. Oh, really? Yeah, Mr. Gravina. So, um, you know, it was, it's really, to, that's, that's a great book, especially in this context, in this world of ours that we're talking of football. You get to have dinner with three people in the football world, past or present, and let's assume language is not a barrier. Who are the three, and where would you take them? Well, I've had dinner with two of them already. Does that count? Like Gigi Buffon and Francesco Totti. I mean, those are the two guys I look up to, and Daniel Daniel De Rossi, to me, is... Is a you know a really an unbelievable person. He's he's a guy who's a warrior on the field, but he's an intellectual off the field, and he's a smart smart guy. Um, Gigi Buffon is a legend, a living legend. Yeah. But but he's a friend of mine and someone that I speak to quite frequently, and you know one of the first guys to congratulate me with Venezia. And you know I just marvel at watching him. I just beg him for one year as our goalie, just at the end of it all. You know, just give us one year <laughs> when know? he's like forty eight. Yeah, or... when he's like forty fifty. You know, when he's almost done. Um, you know, I think that would be it. But but short of that, I, then I could go and say, okay, the guy who runs Real Madrid, I'd love to have dinner with him. But I, I did last week, and you know that was great. I've been very fortunate, uh, Sebastian, to be able to be in those situations. You know, it used to be I could say, okay, Messi, I would love to have dinner because he's to me the greatest player of all time. But you know, when you get to be inside that world and really know footballers, you know, the allure is, is removed a little bit. The, sh- the fascination, you know, they're human beings. Um, and being footballers sometimes could give you not a great, you know, adjustment to society. Some of these guys don't are, aren't as grounded as you would think. So I, I can't say it's anyone like that. But I mean, Gigi is a is a, a living legend. Um, Daniele is a dear friend of mine. I think one of the greatest, you know, all-around players and guys, a leader, you know, Jose Angel Sanchez, CEO of Real Madrid. He's a guy who I just could listen to for, for hours on end, but I've done that. And another guy is the chief scout of Real Madrid. Is, you know, yeah, he's got a nice checkbook, but he's also, he finds some of the best talent. And uh, his name is Uni, and he's, he's a fascinating guy. If you want to just talk football, in the world of football, those would be the guys. Um, and, and we'll put Messi in there also. I'd like to just chat with him a little bit, see what he has to say. And where would you bring them in? To dinner, you mean? Yeah. You know, there's a few little places. I mean... God, you know, I, I was about to name one, but then I have five other friends who are going to be like, well, why don't you name Myra? Yeah. But, you know, to me, I'm, I'm not, I don't like to go to the restaurants that everyone wants to go to. I don't like to be at the places. Like, I parked the car over here by your, your place here, and 
There's some great little looking places here. And I'm taking notes. I was actually going to ask for some recommendations later because it's so quaint down here. It's like a different slice of New York completely. Um, but there, there's a place, a Roman place called Caucho Pepe. I love on 2nd Avenue and like 13th Street. A place no one would ever you know, know about. I mean, it's places like that, like the real authentic, you know, not, not shishi places, but, you know, the real people places. That's, that's sort of my fare. Sounds good. Uh, last few here. How can people follow you or the team? Oh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much trendsetters in social media in Italy. And anyway, we have more of a fan engagement on a, on a weekly basis than half the teams in Serie A. Um, so we have, you know, Facebook is our, our, I think, our main sort of outlet on the social media level. Um, we have an Instagram and then, and then Twitter. But, you know, it's an evolving process every day. We need more people on staff, and, and we're getting them as we go. Um, but, I mean, Facebook is a pretty good way to, to go because what we'll do is also when there's significant articles on there, We'll post on Facebook and things of that nature. Um, Kick TV did an amazing piece on us, which was really fun to watch. Fifteen minutes. Yeah, Steve Pierce came out there, and they spent the week there. And he's great. He he yeah. was a guest here on the podcast. Yeah, he's phenomenal. I mean, and you know what he said after the fact was even more phenomenal. That you know he's been done a lot of these things, and he's never experienced something with such passion and potential as the Venezia project. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, pretty much that's how Facebook. Anything you would like to recommend? You know. Get on the bandwagon early. You know, it's easy to be a Real, Juventus, Manchester fan, but, you know, we're an up-and-coming, very cool, hip, trendy club from one of the greatest cities in the world, and we're building our fan base now, and the true fans will start on this journey in, in the lower divisions, and as some of them have, and, you know, we'll be a fun team to be a fan of because we'll always, you know, we interact with our fans when they come to the stadium. Any fans from the States, we identify immediately, and, and we bring them to the hospitality, and, you know, we're just really trying to become trendsetters in a lot of ways in Italian football and, and global football. So I would recommend to those fans that are anxious to, you know, as I said, it's very easy to be a fan of Juventus. It's very easy to be a fan of Barcelona, of Manchester. But it's fun, really fun to be a fan of Venezia Football Club because not only will we be champions, and that's a relative term, we're not going to win the, the championship every year, but we're going to be a team to be reckoned with every year. And our project's going to grow. We're going to have one of the greatest stadiums in the world. And, you know, By the way, you get to come to the most beautiful city in the world if you want to come to a game there. And we take care of our fans. We really do. We, we're, we're nimble enough and, and small enough where we like to, you know, acknowledge our global fan base and, and interact with them. So, you know, you shoot me an email, uh, I respond to them, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, we're pretty engaging with our, with our fan base. Last one. Who do you think I should interview on this podcast? <sighs> Jose Angel Sanchez, if you get him. I mean... This is about football. I mean, they have some good coffee in Spain, but you want to know about football and, and how football works and the best ways to do it, go right to the horse's mouth. I mean, I think that guy, he runs an organization there, and there are so many great people there. It's not just him. I mean, Emilio Butegrano is, is you know is a friend of mine. He works there. He runs the university. I mean, they have a Real Madrid university, for God's sakes. I mean, wherever revenue stream they could maximize, they do it. But, I, I you know, that guy is a, a trailblazer. So I think he's a fountain of knowledge. And when you want to hear about the highest levels of both football, business, and and organization, that's your guy. Sounds good. Uh, I know who to ask for, for a recommendation. I'll put a, <laughs> put a good recommendation. You seem to know your stuff. You have some great questions. Joe, thank you so much. I mean, it's been a phenomenal conversation. So best of luck to you personally, best of luck to the team, and obviously to the family life. So thank you so much. Uh, very much appreciate it. Thank you, Sebastian. We'll see you hopefully in Venice. Absolutely. I'll say that. I will be there during the next season. We'll be waiting for you. You're a guest, so come Sounds on. Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe on iTunes and write a review. I would really appreciate it as we grow this podcast one listener at a time. If you have any feedback or ideas, feel free to send me an email at sebastian at coffeeandfootball.com. You can also link up with me via Twitter. The handle is at coffeesfootball. Stay tuned for next episode. It will be another amazing one. Thanks again and have a great week.